Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is an historic day, and it does represent a new dawn. For the very first time, a nationalist takes up the position of first minister. The Stormont Assembly and the Executive are back in action. Northern Ireland's government is reconvening today for the first time in two years after the Democratic Unionist Party ended its boycott of Stormont. There's been a hiccup or two and even a trip in a helicopter. Given it's now the Minister for Education. We uh, have a slight adjournment. Um, this proceedings of one country to how we expect them to go and we would request a slight adjournment. But so far, so good. The ministries have been chosen, the work has begun, and with the exception of Jim Allister, it's been smiles all round. To the disappointment of the protocol implementers, I will be here, and I will be here as a thorn in the side, uh, as I've had to be in the past. And when it comes to that, Mr Speaker, I will probably test your patience. To discuss how things have gone and the possible hurdles ahead, I'm joined by David McCann and Sam McBride. We'll also be hearing from prominent Irish language activist Kieran McGillivine. David, Sam, you're very welcome to the Bell Tell. David, we'll start with you. How did the ministries pan out on Saturday? Well, there's always a, what we call a the haunt surprise. Um, uh, always someone who kind of just throws a bit of a spanner into the works and picks something that we didn't totally expect. So let's just start with the largest party, Sinn Féin. They went for economy. Uh, first of all, which had been long touted, Jim Finn had been hitting at Ardeshina for the past two years that they would go for the economy department. Um, and they put Connor Murphy um, in that spot. Uh, the DUP were the ones who gave us the big surprise this time. Uh, they went for education, first of all. And Paul Given, um, someone from the Edmund Poots wing of the DUP, is now the education minister. Uh, Sinn Féin then again surprised us as well. They took finance and Kiva Archibald is in there, the MLA from East uh, Derry. Um, then uh, the DUP then opted for the Department for Communities with Gordon Lands, former uh, minister. Um, and then uh, Sinn Féin went for infrastructure um, uh, with John O'Dowd, who again was the interim infrastructure uh, minister uh, towards the end of the last kind of semi-sitting of the assembly when uh, when we still had ministers, but the executive was down. Robert Swan's back in health um, uh, in that department that he held for two and a half uh, years. The Alliance Party um, are back in justice with Naomi Long. She's the only party leader to actually sit in this executive. Um, uh, Andrew Muir is in as Minister for Agriculture, Environment and Rural Affairs. Um, uh, and that kind of wraps um, the executive. So it's a four-party executive. 
um, uh, this time as well, with the SDLP, of course, being the official opposition. Would either of you like to have a punt at explaining to me the difference between economy and finance? Why Why? Are th- why is there two? Sam, you're, you're well, ready to go. Well, in very simple terms, I suppose, finance is about doling out money and economy is about trying to make money. So one of them is about splitting up the budget. That's what finance does. The finance minister sets the budget. Now he has to get the executive um, to approve that, or rather she has to get the executive to approve that now. Um, uh, but that that is something which comes from their department. There's a big check comes from the Treasury in London. It goes to the Department of Finance. They decide how it's spent. The Stormont Department for the Economy is trying to grow the economy. It's trying to support the economy. It's the it's the body which oversees InvestNI. It's the body which tries to bring in foreign investment. It's the body which also has all sorts of um, other elements, including um, some smaller bits which have become very significant in the past. The RHI scheme was in the Stormont Department for the Economy, as it now is. Uh, so there's lots of little things there. They're responsible for energy policy, for electricity, and um, for keeping the lights on. Lots of these departments have got smaller issues. Finances is, is also responsible for, for something which is very important to us as journalists, the libel laws. Um, so they don't always simply do what, what, the, what the name suggests, but fundamentally one is about is about giving us money um, and one is about trying to find more money for everybody. David, Sinn Féin's picks seem very mature, very grown up, a lot of responsibility. It's 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 the uh-huh. it's it, it's the the very serious departments. Yeah, this is the first time actually we don't have any unionist holding either of the main economic uh, portfolios. Sinn Féin hold them both, um, finance and economy. That's the first time ever. Don't forget it took until 2016 before Sinn Féin actually took an economic portfolio within the Northern Ireland Executive. So again, that really is a shift. Sinn Féin weren't expecting to take finance. I think that's pretty clear. Um, uh, they were uh, expecting Keeve Archibald to become the Minister for Education, uh, but the DUP, of course, um, uh, opted for education, first of all. Uh, look, they, I, for one thing that strikes me is Sinn Féin have got three big picture departments. These are departments in which you won't see the fruits of any policy change immediately. Infrastructure, for example, is something that's very long term. You know, for example, we had the ring road around Dungiven that was opened last year. That was something that Chris Hazard in 2016 helped move along as well, but it took until 2022 before that was opened. Same thing with economy. You set a foreign direct investment strategy. It takes years for that to percolate through. Same thing with finance as well. So they've got the three, what I call the big picture departments. Um, uh, so again, the, 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 the thing for the party is can Sinn Féin allow their ministers the time and the space to be able to actually um, grow in those departments. They've only got three years, but don't forget Sinn Féin's electoral tests. They've got an electoral test in a general election here in the north, but they've also got a general election upcoming in the south. And uh, Sam has referenced um, uh, about the Department of Finance uh, being the department that doles out money. It's also the department that can actually cut budgets as well. And again, if Kiva Archibald, in fact, she, she, she will have some some tough choices to make. If she, um, if she cuts budgets, in certain areas, and it looks like most departments will have a budget cut of some shape or form, um, you better believe that that will be an issue that Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, the leftist parties in the Dáil will be raising at the next Irish general election uh, if it's held uh, at the start of next year. So there's a lot of danger in this, Sam. There's a lot of danger for Sinn Féin. I mean, there's potential. I I, I don't know if how many votes there is in, in, in being mature and running an economics <laughs> department well. 
the 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 more recent history of Northern Ireland would suggest precious few. Uh, I mean, if you, if you look at this, there are obviously opportunities here. Last week, there was this document from the British government, this command paper, which was the deal with the DUP, and it really annoyed a lot of nationalists, understandably. And I think it annoyed them because it was meant to annoy them. It was written in a particular way to try to help the DUP sell it. Um, we had Gregory Campbell basically saying on Saturday, because the SDLP are against this, it's got to be a good deal. I mean, that's that's pretty simplistic logic but it's quite fruitful logic for the DUP, they thought. But if you look at what's happened here, last week that command paper said essentially there is no British government commitment to an all-island economy and that annoyed a lot of people who want to see that advance. Now you've got Sinn Féin in the Department for the Economy with the Department of Finance. By the end of this year, Sinn Féin could have the, could have the Southern Economy Department, they could have the Southern Finance Ministry, and they could, in a much more practical sense, have their hands on the devolved levers of power in Northern Ireland and the, and, the, and the other levers of power on the other side of the Irish border and be doing something that goes way beyond what last week's command paper mentioned. So those are words on a page. This is real power. That's the chance for Sinn Féin. The risk here, as David says, is that finance is no longer simply about doling out money. It's about cutting budgets. It's about raising money. There was a moment of unusual honesty from Emma Little Pengelly, and I, I, I don't mean to say that she's dishonest. I mean that most politicians rarely set out what actually are the hard choices here. She said a few years ago that the reason that nurses in Northern Ireland are paid less than their counterparts in Great Britain is because Stormont didn't want to raise taxes to pay for it. That's the truth. They blame the Tories. They've, they, they've, they've got some reason to blame the Tories. Ultimately, if they wanted this enough, they could have raised taxes and people with the biggest houses. There's all sorts of ways to do this, ways that are progressive, ways that are fairer. They chose not to do it. Now they're under pressure from the Treasury to do it and they're under pressure from their own budget to do it. But that won't be popular with a lot of those people. When De Haunt was being run on Saturday and the DUP uh, announced that Paul Given would be taking uh, education, Sinn Féin gave me the impression that they had been stroked. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. I uh, select the Department of Education and I nominate a Paul Given MLA. We uh, have a slight adjournment. Um, this proceedings of one country to how we expect them to go and we would request a slight adjournment. They weren't expected. Look, they were, I think it's important to note that, that my understanding is there wasn't, typically parties before this do a dry run of the haunt and that didn't actually happen the day before the executive was formed. So one of the interesting things I think is that outside of justice and FM and DFM, it really was open season. We know we know there were discussions between Jeffrey Donaldson and Doug Beattie um, on departments, but I'm not sure how much coordination there was between Sinn Féin and the DEP. I mean, Sinn Féin were certainly caught on the hop. They asked for that adjournment. Um, uh, I think one of the interesting things was that when Sinn Féin came back into the chamber, that they opted for finance instead of communities. I think there may have been a calculation within the DUP that Sinn Féin would have opted for communities when that adjournment came back. Uh, and then maybe the DUP would have taken finance after that, but they didn't. Um, uh, so again, um, Sinn Féin, again, I think, as Sam is saying, uh, have looked at the opportunities there. And there are opportunities there. There's also just, just, just one opportunity that I think finance does give Sinn Féin is that Remember, there is a joint bipartisan charge that's now going to be led against uh, against the British government here um, uh, on revenues, on on Northern Ireland being underfunded. Because don't forget, the British government made it's a tacit admission. They 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 haven't publicly said this is that Northern Ireland has been underfunded to some degree. Now again, we can debate the degrees of that, but the British government did make a basic admission about that. 
Sinn Féin in finance, Sinn Féin in economy, do have the, do have the position now to lead that debate, and it's a bipartisan debate. It's a debate that union that the DEP agree with, and the Ulster Unionists agree with, and the Alliance Party agrees with. So again, if they play that right, they could be leading the charge on that. I think what happened on Saturday with this Roy over ministries is one of the most significant things over the last couple of days. This is something which gets to the heart of the DUP Sinn Féin relationship. Has it really changed or are we back to where we were at the worst of that relationship? Conor Murphy said on Monday on RTE that there were discussions prior to this with the DUP, but the DUP decided to change that when they stood up to nominate. He said that doesn't augur well for how we do business. Now, is he telling the truth? I don't know. But when you look at what happened in the in the assembly chamber, there was visible surprise from the Sinn Féin benches. There was audible surprise in terms of what the Sinn Féin chief whip said to the speaker um, that that they hadn't expected what had just happened. That that leads me to believe that actually something had been planned and, and, and didn't go according to plan. Then Sir Geoffrey Donaldson on Monday morning denied this. He said that nothing went awry as far as the DUP is concerned. Everything went perfectly according to plan. He said he told Sinn Féin he wanted education. Now, Whoever you believe there, both those people can't be telling the truth. Both can't be entirely straight in their story. So if they can't even either competently organise who gets which ministry or they can't be straight with each other about which ministry they're getting, it's not a great sign. It's not a great sign. I'll I'll give you that one. Um, I'm a little Ben Gelly and Michelle O'Neill. Um, I mean, we've had the Chuckle Brothers. I don't know. Could we call them the Smiling Sisters? I well, maybe I've gone too far. I should have thought that one out a little more. See, when you write things down, uh, when you say them out loud, they sound worse. But they did seem to be getting along okay. I mean, look, it was it was a very competent performance from them. It was a very um, it was a very assured performance when the prime minister, when the Taoiseach were here. Nobody, as far as I could see, put a foot out of place. Everybody was trying to um, have this as a big, successful day, um, not spoil the party, not try to say, look, there's awkward realities that that actually might crop up here and in some way derail what we're doing. So that that was all very, very successful from their perspective. And I think both of them were quite deliberately deciding not to say certain things that at future points they will say, I don't think there's any likelihood that we're back to the Chuckle Brothers in any sense whatsoever. That was a very unique part of our politics. It wasn't very popular um, with either side after a while. It was very popular um, in the in the, in the the instant when it happened and people wanted Paisley and McGuinness to get along. But once they were getting along really well, um, there, are, there are a lot of people who elect those people to, um, to fight particular battles that they thought weren't being fought at that point um, and ultimately weren't very happy about that. If you look at Emma Little-Pengelly, if you look at Michelle O'Neill, they're not as fresh-faced in terms of our politics as people might assume. They've been there for a very long time. They knew this system. They were part of this system. They were at the heart of this system. And so therefore, um, these are not people coming in from outside who are going to shake things up radically. I don't think they are people who have been in Stormont Castle, in the Stormont system and at the heart of it when it was very, very dysfunctional. Stormont was out of action for the last two years because of the DUP's stance over the Northern Ireland Protocol at the Windsor Framework and basically what has become known as the border on the Irish Sea. But it had previously been out of action because, initially because of RHI and then because of the row over an Irish Language Act. So it is interesting following the DUP taking both education and community on Saturday, Irish speakers and leading Irish language activists immediately immediately raised the alarm. Let's hear from activist Kieran McGillivine. Kieran, what's the problem with Paul Given and Gordon Lance? Well, it's, it's, it's no problem with those individually, I suppose, as a party in regards to education and communities. Obviously, when we have to go back to the last really sitting assembly, um, which was elected in 2015, um, with 
Peter Weir was appointed education minister prior to that election and then run up to that election. Um, Arlene Foster and Peter Weir both made it very clear that they were going to use their power if they had education to, uh, in the words of Arlene Foster, to stop the unfair um, and preferential treatment given to Irish medium education. And within 24 hours, kind of bilingual logos were removed, all correspondence in Irish were removed. We had 32 nurture units, two of which were in Irish medium schools. They were removed almost immediately within Peter Weir taking office. And similarly, um, in the case of communities, Paul Given um, was in charge of communities at that time. And he'd probably be forever known now as the minister who removed the LIFA fund in the mouth of the RHI scandal, 50,000 means-tested grant for children to attend the Giltacht, and which then, as in many instances, many uh, regards, kick-started the Dram Jarrett campaign and led us to where they are. Taken on board what you said there, and I mean, I don't think any people, anyone expects Paul Given to go into this ministry thinking, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to expand the Irish medium education sector. I don't think that that's going to happen, but there is a danger, is there not, in assuming how he will act. I mean, he will say he's going to be fair to all. Is there not a little bit of a danger of going into this with, with bad faith from day one? No, I think, I suppose, from our perspective, where our faith lies is in our community's ability to respond to this, to whatever comes our way. I would hope that there is the era of equality that was promised to us all from Good Friday when I was 16 years of age. Communities like the Irish language community would be brought in for the code. But unfortunately, Karen, we have to be realistic about this at every single opportunity. And what we've seen even in the last two years in the absence of Stormont at council level, for instance, where the DUP have again used their power to try and prevent even the most menial and basic provisions for Irish language signage, for Irish language schemes and stuff. So there's no evidence to suggest that the DUP have changed course or changed tact. What's different today in 2024 in, in contrast to 2016, 2017, when the Dram Derrick community began is, A, our community is very mobilised. We've demonstrated that we're able to challenge um, kind of power in regards to this. And B, what we have is we have now for the first time, we have the Irish language legislation that has been through. We have some type of legislative insulation from the most egregious of these attacks. That's what we would hope. And I suppose it was disappointing furthermore then that no reference was made to the Irish language legislation amongst the kind of pomp and celebration that took place in Stormont on Saturday. It does seem like there is always the danger, David, of a culture war in the wings here. And I mean, we've we've seen how difficult it is to get Stormont up and running and to keep it up and running. Could Stormont absorb yet another culture war yeah well look it, it did nothing uh, it did nothing else really from 2007 to 2017 in terms of absorbing those culture wars you know it quite often got caught up in them and look yeah look i can understand um some of the nervousness um uh, it was um it, it was difficult at moments for Irish language activists when the dep held some of these departments and look you know, if you're Gordon Lyons, who's the new communities minister, if you wanted to have something for the general election coming up, um, and if the TUV are running in some seats, if you wanted to wedge some of those voters, um, yeah, I mean, they, there will be some temptation in order to stop some things, delay some things, maybe drive a hard bargain on other things um, uh, on the Irish language. Let's not forget um, Arlene Foster, when the cultural package was agreed in New Decade Near Approach, she made the, the declarative statement in the Assembly that it would be implemented in full. There were many in her party that were not happy about that. Edwin Poots's leadership effectively unraveled over getting the cultural package um, uh, through and then the appointment of Paul Gibbon as First Minister. Um, uh, so it is always worth noting 
um, that these things um, do often creep into the executive. They do often cause problems. And look, um, Irish language activists are 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 nervous. But who knows? Maybe in this new in this new environment, this new dispensation, um, uh, they may be surprised. <laughs> Is it a new era? Well, I think what. What Kieran says there in many cases is quite shrewd. I think, yes, there is a significant chance that the, that the DUP, having been closed down, if you like, on the Irish sea border, they're saying it's gone, so they can't really now make a huge fuss out of that um, without it sort of coming back on them. Irish is is something that they've tended to, uh, to, to, to go for in the past. It's perfectly understandable that lots of Irish speakers are going to be concerned at Paul Given, particularly over that LIFA funding um, stance, which he took in late 2017, cutting, was it £50,000 from a budget? Um, for for a, for a for a bursary for Irish language speakers, I mean, it was seen as gratuitous. It was seen as deliberate, calculated as 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 a very deliberate insult. Um, I I think there's a slightly more nuanced um, explanation for Paul Given here. First of all, he's often misunderstood, as Edwin Poots is, as a simple Paisleyite fundamentalist. He's not. He's much more pragmatic. Um, he was nowhere near the camp that said the Irish Sea border has to be something that um, they 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 stand by all their commitments. They're not going back into Stormont. He was willing um, and eager, it seems, to get back in. So that's that's the the the, the sort of background to where he comes from in his broader political um, stances. So if if you you look at the background to that Leafa decision, I mean, just I think a few weeks before that, Paul Given was out playing Gaelic football. He was being photographed with that. Is that a sort of Jim Allister light type person? Not at all. Much more pragmatic much much more pragmatic, much more willing to move with the times. But when you look at when he took that decision, the DUP were getting hammered for RHI. Um, they had very little to turn to. And I think, and there's people in the DUP claim this was a cock-up, I don't really believe them. I think this was calculated, but I don't think it was calculated um, to be anything other than a big distraction, a big dead cat on the table to try to distract from the fact that Arlene Foster was in all sorts of bother. It backfired on them spectacularly, but it wasn't something they wanted to turn to. It was an act of desperation. So is he going to pick a fight on this? Um, is 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 that something that, that, that the broader DP leadership are going to pick a fight on? Maybe, but I think they'll do that if they're in desperate straits. I don't think it's where they're going to turn to first. But yes, of course, they're not going to be enthusiastic about this. They'll do as little as they can, but there are certain legal constraints here that bind them in. The UUP, where does one start? Uh, you know, I, I'm thinking about it. I was thinking about my question, where I, where I was going to begin with it. I mean, it strikes me that Doug Beattie is, 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 is quite open and honest <laughs> and that's those aren't traits Unusual. That, those aren't traits that perhaps help a politician I mean he's admitted that he would have preferred to go into opposition but he was he was you know outvoted which is fair enough um, but then there's the whole thing over Robin Swan standing will he stand now will he not stand you know how could he campaign at the same time as being health minister it does seem like a ship which is being guided simply by the the waves rather than by the captain, David. Am I being unfair to Doug Beattie? I think Doug's problem is that he does his strategic thinking out loud. And the problem is, and, and the problem with that is that parties aren't meant to do that. You're meant to come to a collective position and then articulate your strategy. Um, look, Robin would not be the first 
city minister that's ever fought an election here. Jim Wells was health minister and he fought to see the South Down in 2015. Sammy Wilson was the finance minister and he fought the 2010 general election. Peter Robinson, of course, was the sitting first minister and fought the 2010 general election. Didn't succeed, but he but but but, but he still fought it. Um, so, look, I, I think look, it's not the first time this has happened. The big the big issue for Robin Swan is that health is in such bad shape if he wins, and this is the UUP's top target seat, this is the seat they're actually uh, competitive in uh, and do, would have a good chance of potentially winning. If he won, he would have to leave the Assembly. And if he left the Assembly, he would have to get a new health minister. So the, the essential problem is, is that you would have Robin Swan in there for potentially 10 months and then the UUP would need to find a replacement. And who would that replacement be? And it would just create maybe a wee bit of uncertainty within the department. And that's that's the problem that I think the Ulster Unionists have. Also, the, 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 sense, the sense that you're getting from the Ulster Unionist Party is this, is that they're in government, but it's a wee bit half-hearted. It's a wee bit half-hearted because so many of their party don't actually want to be in government. They don't actually want to be there. Um, so th- those are kind of the strategic problems that the Ulster have. Sam, you're really raring to go here. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much to say. It's, it's totally shambolic. I agree with David that part of the issue here is that Doug Beattie does his strategic thinking out loud. Um, that's great for us in the media. Um, gives us a real insight into what they're thinking. Um, but it's not the sort of insight which parties tend to want you to have. And there is a situation here where, I mean, I, I've never heard of a leader of a political party who doesn't want to be in government and finds himself in government against his own wishes. Now, Doug Beattie has made a big point about saying, I will lead from the front. I'm a leader. I'm going to you know, sh- show people where I want to go. Well, here he's made it very obvious. He is somewhere that he is not leading his party. He doesn't want to be, but they want to be. Um, but they're not, they're not in any way unanimous on. That's that's very, very difficult. Some people are a bit hypocritical about this. They say they want more honesty from politicians. They get honesty from politicians. And then they say, oh, isn't this ridiculous? Now, I think Doug needs enormous credit for his honesty. There is no politician in Northern Ireland who has this level of honesty. And a lot of people like that. And a lot of voters are going to like that. But it does create awkward realities for him. If, for instance, Robin Swan is in the executive for, let's say, six months, and he's not getting the money from the Sinn Féin finance minister that he says the health service needs, the natural thing for him to do there is to put his job on the line and say, you know what, we were willing to give this a go, but actually, you're not going to do this. We're going to get out of government. Now that's much harder to do because now that looks like, you know, they were never really thoroughly involved in this anyway, um, that that's potentially some sort of cynical attempt to get him elected. I mean, it makes things much more difficult for the Ulster Unionists. This next story is perhaps a little less uh, serious, but I can say that the readers of the Belfast Telegraph are really, really interested in this story. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, um, Justin McNulty, um, the SDLP MLA in Newry and Armagh, left the chambers, well, slightly early, depends on your point of view, on Saturday. He then got into a helicopter and went to Wexford where he managed the Leash uh, Gaelic football team uh, I can't remember who they were playing and I should have known because in a, in a they sense... They won anyway. They won, they won. Well, I mean, thank... I think Justin McNulty would be very pleased, but I mean, he was immediately suspended from the SDLP. Immediately. He was taken off the website. Now, we know, and stories we've covered in the Belfast Telegraph, we knew this was going to happen. There seems to have been a breakdown in communication with Justin. The SDLP tried to be sorting something out and they'd warned him. They said, you know... It's, you have to choose. David, this is this is a very Southern story someone said to me this morning. 
Um, it's an all-island story. I know the SDLP have tried to lead an all-island debate, um, a bit, but not in this way. Um, this is something that you've had Charlie Fanagan, who's TD for Leash, but he's former Irish Foreign Minister. He came out to defend Justin McNulty. We've had former SDLP MLAs come out and defend Justin McNulty. We've had Fianna Fáil politicians who the SDLP are still theoretically meant to be in a partnership with. They've come out and defended Justin McNulty on this. It has truly gripped the island of Ireland. It, it, is, it, it, is, it, is, um, it has got politicians from North and South commenting on it, either for him or against him. Look, I think... Uh, there obviously has been a breakdown in communication, I've, and I'm not saying this with any with any great knowledge or insight, but I suspect there's probably other issues at play here. I don't think this is only just about um, Justin McNulty being the being the county manager for Leash. And again, I'm not saying that with any inside knowledge. It's just it's just a sense that I have the fact that the fact that both sides haven't been able to to sort this out. Now, I have seen uh, the, your political editor report that there has been potential olive branches um, reached out to Justin McNulty in recent uh, in recent days before the SDLP. You know, Matthew O'Toole gave a really good, solid speech on Saturday as the leader of the opposition. Um, he actually had a he actually had a good showing on a day that was all about Michelle O'Neill. And the problem for the SDLP is that we're talking about this. And I think that's the fear within the SDLP. What happened on Saturday will be um will 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 just be a taste of what is to come because that this story will just keep coming up um uh, and it will and it will just dog the party in opposition. Can I can I say something in defense of Justin McNulty? Um, when he took this job, Stormont wasn't sitting. I think it was a perfectly reasonable thing for him to do at that point. MLAs had their salaries cut significantly. And um, that was because they were still doing part of their job as as people who were um who were meeting their local constituents in constituency offices who were representing them in various issues, but they could Legislate. It wasn't his fault. He's not a member of the DUP. He couldn't do anything about it. However, once Stormont comes back, it's untenable and there are irreconcilable differences here. There are GA managers. There's Brian Duher, the um, the 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 um, Tyrone manager, is a senior civil servant, one of the deputy chief vets in Stormont. But he's not driving two thirds of the way across Ireland every time he goes to a training match. I mean, it's not that this is completely impossible in certain circumstances, but here um, it is not going to work. And it's clear, I think, yes, the SDLP are saying they're putting out, out olive branches. To me, that seems much more like um, trying to position themselves for the next electoral battle with him to say, look, we did everything we could. I don't think there's any chance he's coming back to the party. Yeah, the, the culture in me seems to have the desire to point out that to maybe more ur- the more urban SDLP that many people, I suppose, out there in rural Ireland and GAA Ireland will, would consider it much more important for Justin McNulty to be at that match than to sit as a bit player in Stormont because he, 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 his, his part was already done. So perhaps the SDLP underestimate the, the, the emotions around um, the GAA. And of course, Justin McNulty... He came into politics as an All-Ireland winner. That's how and why he, he he was brought into politics. So it does seem to me that I'm a little surprised about the SDLP now. I mean, isn't that what... And look, this this is one of the dangers of picking, I suppose, celebrity candidates. You pick somebody because of their sporting credentials. You know, a, 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 a very heroic figure in GAA, somebody who's very popular locally, somebody who has got this, you know, this very unusual cachet that most politicians, when they start at the bottom rung of the ladder, do not have. But the difficulty is that they don't necessarily behave the way that politicians behave. I think it's fair to say Justin McNulty is not going to be the greatest loss to the SDLP benches. They've got very impressive MLAs. They've lost some of those 
those people like Nicola Mallon, they've lost some of them to Westminster, like Claire Hanna, like, like um, Colm Eastwood. Um, but they've still got very significant people like Matthew Toole, Daniel McCross and Patsy McLoone. Um, but actually um, losing any seat at this point for a party that is so shrunken is a problem. I'm going to pivot away from that story here. Quite a radical pivot, truth be told. Um, David, we're next for anti-agreement unionism. We're next for Jamie Bryson and Jim Allister, who seem joined at the hip this week. Well, we'll just wait for the next crisis to come up, really. There's always something that comes along every few years that uh, that seems to give them a bit of uh, a bit of a spring in their step. Look, I, I mean, the DUP seem very confident of their position now against the TUV. Now, we've seen the DUP get to this position before where they get very confident with the TUV. They attack the TUV. I do think it is uh, very noteworthy that all the DUP's firepower on Saturday was trained on the TUV, um, uh, and that has continued through. Um, do they have something else up their sleeve? Look, I mean, you can't write Jim Allister off totally, but I still do come back to the fundamental point. If from 2021 to 2023, if the DUP's main rivals with all the problems the DUP had on leadership and on policy, if they couldn't make hay against them at that stage, when can they? When can they? The DUP in 2021 went into meltdown and that, that continued all the way through over the protocol, then the Windsor framework. And still their main rivals couldn't make any substantive hay against them. I know the TUV got got loads of votes, but the DUP have got a very good answer to that. The only people that the TUV helped elect um, uh, was the Alliance Party in North Antrim. And uh, and again, if you add the DUP vote together with the with the TUV vote, you get a you get a first preference vote that equals Sinn Féin's. So again, for Jim Allister, it's going to be very difficult for him to grow to, to grow that party. But then again, who knows what's coming in the future? Sam. So, did you want to make a point in that one? Well, look, I think people have written off anti-agreement unionism right away from 1998. They wrote it off in 98 when the when the Good Friday Agreement went through so handsomely in that referendum. They thought Paisley was a spent force. They wrote it off in 2007 when Paisley went into government with McGuinness. They have written it off. Um, now they, they, they've written it off every time Jim Allister has failed to break through. You know, he, he gets 66,000 votes, then his vote collapses in the next election. People think, oh, that that's it. I've heard people in the TUV who are very close to Jim Allister privately say it's over, it's done and then they roar back with some other issue. There will be lots of issues that are going to give them a chance to get at the DUP. We've touched on some of them. Irish language, Irish sea border, Casement Park. Um, there are all manner of issues that are going to be difficult for the DUP. The central issue here is that the DUP has never got over the fact that its origins are as an insurrectionist and the establishment party and they are the establishment now. They've never really reconciled those two things and for the last two years, Jim Allen and Jamie Bryson have set DUP policy. That's the level of influence anti-agreement unionism has had. Is that going to suddenly just evaporate because the sea border is not as visible as it was before? Not at all. Jamie Bryson live streamed just over a week ago the DUP executive meeting that was locked down supposedly in every way to try to keep the media out. That's the level of access these people have to the heart of the DUP. They're going to be getting leaks. They're going to be getting people um, using them as conduits. That gives them power and that we the DUP. Now, Sam, we don't have the exact numbers of the votes, but we do understand in the DUP that seven, the, on the officer board, it was seven, five. And in the executive, it was around 60% voted to, to go back into Stormont. I mean, where it, the, the DUP, the opposition in the DUP seems to have disappeared now. <laughs> so, 
what what I can say is that I'm absolutely sure that the seven five figure is correct. I'm not sure if the sixty percent figure is correct. That was very tightly, very 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 closely guarded by the DUP. And um, but definitely, you had more than forty percent of the DUP's inner circle, party officers, the people at the very core of this very centralised party, were opposed to the DUP leader's policy. Now, think about the prime minister. Think about the Taoiseach losing forty percent of their cabinet on a key decision. That gives you a sense of how divided this party is publicly. Yes, those people have been pretty restrained. So far. But actually, when you look beneath the surface, there are all sorts of difficulties. Some of what Jeffrey Donaldson has been saying over the last week or so to get this over the line is simply incorrect. I mean, when you look at the basics of this, the the claims that he is making about the sea border are exaggerated. They're not going to be borne out by the evidence. And I think that there was a very, um, a very shrewd, a very insightful comment from Lee Reynolds, the former DUP special advisor, um, just about a week ago, where he said that lots of unionists um, like having Jim Allister about the place. That's their general view of him, but they wouldn't want him in charge. They think that he keeps unionism honest and that if it wasn't for him, they would go off in all sorts of directions. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And that gives him strength. So if if, if unionist voters think he's going to be wiped out, they might turn to him. If they think he's going to do too well, ironically, that might help the DUP as it did in the last election. David, I'll finish with you. I don't think this is going to be a very long honeymoon, do you? Uh, no, we've already had issues over um, the appointment of the executive. Um, we've had very long uh, procedures around the appointment of committee chairs as well. Um, so, look, you know, this was an executive that had approval ratings that were incredibly low. I mean, surveys have shown that Northern Irish pe- that, that people in Northern Ireland um, uh, have the lowest trust in their government of any part of the UK. Uh, Stormont's approval ratings were lower. Uh, than the Irish governments at the time of their IMF bailout. So again, the executive's got some way to claw back in people's imaginations. Uh, and, and again, delivery is something that they're really going to have to focus on. Sam, David, thank you very much. This episode of The Bell Tale has been produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar, along with Graham Davidson and Olivia Peden. The clips you heard were from the BBC, UTV and the Northern Ireland Assembly. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish independent. Terms and conditions apply.